Maiden, how are you? Where are you? Or as we say in today, Maori, get to be here quick, get to here quick. Pretty good, thanks. Just bloody chewing down on a spate in Balclutha. A uh, little story about Balclutha I learned today. Uh, Bell, I can't really tell you about. Clutha is the Gaelic name for Clyde, which is the uh, big river in Scotland. There's also a big river that flows through this town. It's called the Clutha. So this is Balclutha, South Otago. Awesome. Pretty good. So uh, <laughs> welcome to the How Are You, Where Are You podcast. It's an audio travel log of our adventures by bike as we cycle from our home of seven years in London to our ancestral home, our Turanga Waiwai of the Hutt Valley of New Zealand. We've been through Europe, uh, Central and South America, and just recently through the old Catlins here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And in breaking news, we are sitting here in the kitchen of the motor camp in Balclutha, um, and we have made two new friends. And they are sitting here with us, and we've just enjoyed a delicious meal. Um, And they are named Brian and Nick. Guys, welcome. Brian, would you like to do a little introduction for for yourself? Of course. (laughs) My name is Brian. (laughs) That's all I've got. Where do you come from? Uh, I'm from the States. I grew up in Michigan, and I live in California now, Sacramento. Okay. And Nick, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? The name's Nicholas Winston Armstrong. I hail from Encinitas, California. My best friends call me Hoot. I am the best bicyclist in the world. Um, (laughs) Most of that's true, but uh, yeah. Yeah, that's me. Awesome. Well, we met these guys um, in Invercargill. Uh, They are also cycle touring, um, both from the top of New Zealand. Yeah, from uh, Cape Ranga, which is like the northernmost tip. And right down to Bluff, which is, well, they try and say it's the southernmost tip, but as we found out but later on in our tour of the Catlins, it's uh, a poor excuse for a lowest tip because the real lowest tip you can cycle down is Slope Point in the Catlins. It's- so, um, interestingly, Nick has just done the tour of Aotearoa, which is like the tour of New Zealand. Um, and this is the first year that it's run, and it's a bike packing event where people uh, cycle the whole length of New Zealand with quite minimal gear, and they have to camp and all the rest of it. Um, Nick, can you tell us a little bit about what the tour was like? Uh, the tour was great, so it was the first time I did anything like that. Um, I brought a bike over. Obviously, we all did like mountain bikes or at least cyclocross bikes because a lot of uh, what we did was either gravel or just complete off-road. Uh, I loved every second of it, honestly. Like, there were some days, one day I woke up and was just puking everywhere because I caught a bug. Um, (laughs) But uh, that only lasted an hour, and then it was a great day on the bike. Uh, And then there were some days where it was just eight hours of rain. Um, But the trails were just amazing. If you're interested in ever doing that, uh, it's part of the Kennett Brothers book. They actually have it. It's like towards the end. I don't know what they call it. I think it's just the thrown together, like, best trail to take if you want to see all of New Zealand. And uh, me and a couple other guys, Jason and Tom, well done, boys. Uh, We formed Team Pain Train, and we did it in 25 days. Uh, The fastest guy did it in nine days, 13 hours. Well done, Jacob. Um, You freak. Yeah, yeah, really, man. Uh, But... uh, 
Yeah, it was extremely fun. I would encourage anyone to look up bike packing. Um, it's a little bit different than bike touring in that it's uh, it's mainly focused towards dirt roads and uh, more off-road sections and a little bit more minimal uh, compared to everyone here. I think I have like a third of the stuff, uh, maybe. Um, but it's it was a lot of fun. I really can't uh, stress that enough. <laughs> and Brian, you've done a, a similar trip in that you've ridden pretty much as many kilometers. You've you know ridden right from the top of the country, but you did it in a different style. Can you explain how it was different to Nick's tour? Yeah. So I sort of um, well, I came over here. I'd been wanting to check out New Zealand for a long time. Met a really good friend who had done a lot of bicycle touring in South America. And he was telling me about all his adventures, bicycle touring. And it was like, oh, yeah, I'll just quit my job and go bicycle tour New Zealand. Of course, that's the best idea. Um, so, yeah, I bought a touring bike and started researching gear lists and everything. And then I bought the Kenna Brothers book and sort of looked at, you know, oh, this is how we recommend you do it. And I got here and my first day was like soul crushing. Like my ego was just crushed. It was so hard. I went to the post office the next day and shipped back like almost 10k worth of gear. Wow. Yeah, like I had blue jeans and like a pedal wrench. Like, why would I use a pedal wrench on a yeah. tour? But you know. So yeah, and um, I came over by myself. I planned on just meeting people on the road, and I met a Swiss couple my second day on the road. Uh, toured with them for about two weeks, and then had two or three weeks riding alone. Um, met this really awesome Swiss girl, Linda, who's been doing a travels all over the world. Toured with her for about two and a half weeks. Um, and then met up with you guys and Nick and everybody down in Inverc Argyle. Um, so yeah, you know, like I just sort of had a broad plan and then I learned a lot along the way and it just kind of all came together and this beautiful way that things do, you know, the universe provides. Oh, it's kind of what we learned as well. As the smoke alarm goes oh, off here. Hey guys. Sorry, just need to We're doing a recording here. Come on. Well, we met and we've traveled through an area of New Zealand called the Catlins. Can you explain what that is, Baden? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> the Catlins. Where is it? Well, it's, um, on the south coast, but on the uh, east side of, of uh, Invercargill. So we basically came uh, down from uh, the west coast in uh, Fiordland region and then scooched along the bottom. And yeah, now we're sort of heading up the east side of the South Island. And it's kind of known as, I guess, kind of like a pretty uh, exposed place. Um, the weather, you can get all sorts of weather there. It's a bit of a wild coast, as we all sort of found out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So what, what was your impression, guys, of, of the Catlins? What did you think? I thought it was beautiful. Uh, honestly, I think one of the days here in the Catlins was probably my hardest day of the tour. Uh, I ate something that was probably funny and, like, spent this night kind of shivering in my tent and having to go hit the bathroom like every two hours and just thinking like, oh no, it's gonna rain and it's gonna be terrible and I'm not gonna be able to ride and I'm gonna have to hitchhike out and bikepacking is stupid, why am I doing this? <laughs> and then, you know, the next day was just great, you know? I mean, my stomach hurt a bit, but like good weather and just 
it changed a lot and beautiful sights and just laughing all the time talking with all you guys and so you know like yeah like you have rough times and bad things happen but you just keep pedaling and things get better. I mean, anyone who's listened to our podcast, this is like a familiar story. Mm-hmm. Now they'll be like, oh my God, like these guys, Baden and Shelley, aren't like making all this up. It's like, <laughs> this actually happens to everyone. Um, yeah. And we had like quite a special experience. Um, and I know Nick, you were very excited to, to meet a penguin. Uh, yeah, so uh, there's a, in, at Curio Bay, there, is a what we thought was just kind of a rocky beach, but it ended up being a hundred and sixty million year old uh, fossilized, petrified like petrified forest. forest. Sorry, and it was awesome, but we were just like tramping all over it, like <laughs> where the hell is this penguin? There better be a penguin here, and so we're like charging out there because you know it was like maybe a five hundred meter walk or something, and so we ran out there and people that we met were like well first of all there were only three penguins so <laughs> i don't know what's going on they need to get on that procreation bandwagon and really <laughs> get babies. us some more penguins yeah. damn it <laughs> but um yeah so we were walking by and these people were like oh yeah we saw the penguins two of them are already in and we're like that means there's only one more for us to see and so we like ran down we're all out of breath and there's like 50 other people just staring in this direction and we're like what are they oh there's a penguin and so we look out and there's this one solitary penguin with 50 human people looking at it which just felt extremely wrong very invasive and it, it was i mean it was a cool little animal it was really awesome i'm from california i'll probably never see a penguin again but it was just like i feels like i'm just somehow detracting from this you know majestic animal's life and then it screamed out a couple times and like waved its arms in the general direction of like the horizon like somehow questioning the universe what are these people doing i just want to go to bed and then we all had to move out of the way as it like hopped its way up to where we were and then somehow disappeared into these shrubberies and we're like okay bring me a shrubbery yeah yeah it was super weird but it was i mean it was amazing i got a lot of really terrible blurry photos of it yeah you're gonna need to send us those photos because we we took none yeah i took mine on my famous uh, motorola moto g uh one half megapixel (laughs) camera so yeah we couldn't even see his little yellow eye it's little hoi ho which is like the yellow eye penguin on our five dollar note yeah and uh, yeah, we met this lady. What was her name? Her Marge? name was Diane, Diane, and she was a doc volunteer. Okay, we're approaching the spot, and there are a lot of people gathered and standing, and we hope looking at a penguin that we are also going to see. But I think I have to be quiet now. We have to stay. You're supposed to stay more than 10 meters away from them. Okay. Oh, fuck, there it is. Oh my God, I can see it. Okay, be very quiet, but I can see the penguin. It's standing on a rock. It's scratching its head. It's, it's little, it's white tummy is, is really bright and you can see it easily. And this is really cool, but there's like literally I would say there's about 50 people here and there's one penguin. 
Well, I'm a, a volunteer for DOC, for Department of Conservation, and I'm here for the month of March. And we come down here every evening just to make sure that the penguins are, are looked after. We're here to protect the penguin. Yeah, yeah. So to, part of it is education, and but also to protect the the penguin. It's um, it's one of our protected species here in New Zealand, the LOI penguins, and it, the numbers are on the decline. So we're just trying to you know protect what we've got. Yeah. So how many are there in New Zealand About now? About 440 pair on the mainland on south on the South Island and Stewart Island, then another 440 down on the Auckland Islands, and another 440 down on the Campbell Islands. So that altogether, that's not very many. No, no, it's not. So what's this penguin doing now? How's what's he been doing all day, and well, what's he doing he's now? He's been out there fishing all day, so he's had a big day, and he's coming in, and he's just doing a. Um, he's probably doing what we would do, call a warm down. He's just sort of you know flexing and just gathering his strength again, and then he'll decide where he's going to go for the night. He's, yeah, he doesn't have a mate yet. We think he's a teenager because he doesn't seem to know what he wants to do. <laughs> And where will he yeah. sleep, Diane? Here, under the bush. Yeah. They always like to find a little spot there, under the bush, and have the and rest for the night. And then they're out again at uh, dawn. Mm. Thank you very mm. much. It's all right. Catlins is obviously massively beautiful. I mean, check out the high-resolution photos that I took on my cell phone. And especially like in Curio Bay, man, like it was so rough sleeping there. We are on this hillside looking out over the bay. Um, as we, um, we sort of commandeered the shelter, like families were trying to eat their camp meals in the shelter. We're like, no, we've got this whole space. We put our tents up in there, like secured the whole, <laughs> secured the whole perimeter and really got quite passive-aggressive at we anyone who came there. One of the best views of all the dolphins playing. But it was an amazing view, yeah. We're checking all these Hector's dolphins who are like swimming out really like in behind the first set of waves in, in the big harbour there. And, and in the morning, the sun miraculously came up and there was like surfers heading out to like try and tackle some of the big waves it's quite um catlins is quite known for its big wave surfing and um yeah we sort of just headed off headed off again for another day and uh, everything was going swimmingly we stopped off some pretty amazing savory scones uh at niagara falls <laughs> niagara falls which is basically uh, it's touted as being the world's smallest waterfall. Yeah, it's basically a creek with a rock, and it, the water goes over the rock. And, but it's the place called Niagara. They got to sell it somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then uh, disaster strikes. Uh, so we had, um, you know, as Brian's stomach. Then it was the turn of Fausto's hub to throw a wobbly, and. Uh, things started going wrong down the hill and we had to uh, pull over and it started pissing down so we um, took cover in a wool shed and it kind of realized that the bearings well, we had, had to get nick to take over and because he's quite mechanical yeah, he does robotics a lot about what to do and yeah he does <laughs> robotics so what did you find when you opened up the hub well uh yeah so we thought it would just be a simple like oh this needs Grease. Who knew? Moving parts need grease. Uh, we pulled it apart and it was pretty dry and there were some shavings. Uh, it's a Hope Hub and so it's like, oh, this should be bulletproof. 
It's got bearings everywhere. I don't know how many bearings, but there's just a ton. And so we're like looking at it. We think it's good. Um, I We greased it up using some Phil Woods grease and then some uh, wet chain lube to try and get the viscosity right. We put it back together. It was the great, you know, like christening test ride. And it does the exact same thing. And so we're like, what the heck? We pull it apart again. And the uh, drive side bearing... Like, when we pulled it apart, I was like, there's more shavings in here? What the heck? Yeah. And then we pulled this uh, this little cover off the drive side bearing, and the thing was, like, imploded. The, uh, you know, inter- like, uh, uh, ID race of the bearing was, it, it had, like, shattered into, like, 20 to 30 pieces, and the, all the ball bearings were completely gone. Yeah. And so I, I don't even know how you do that, like... Well, too much power? Yeah. It's, it's to do with the power. I, I put out a tremendous amount of power through... Uh, so we're, we're standing in a wool shed, like, you know, tromping around in sheep poo, and Brian and I are kind of the spectators for this, and it was raining, and it, and it, and it kind of brought to mind this conversation that we had um, about type 1 and type 2 fun. Wow, I wonder yeah. if you could explain this to us. Yeah, so I picked this up from, uh, from Linda, the, the Swiss cycle tourist that I met, and she was telling me a story once, and she said, oh, yeah, it was type 2 fun. And I said, I don't know what type 2 fun is. You know about type 2 diabetes. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> which is not fun at all. So this is totally different. No, so type 1 fun is when you're pedaling, and you've got a tailwind, and the sun is out, and it's just a gorgeous day, and the penguins are squawking at you. And, you know, it's like fun in the moment. And, you know, type 2 fun is when, you know, your stomach hurts and you have to poop every 10 minutes and your rear wheel bearing explodes and you have to go into a wool shed because it's pissing down rain. So it's like not really fun at all, but it makes an amazing story later. And when you think back on that, it's like, oh, yeah, you you know, that wasn't so bad because you survived. Like you get through these things Mm. and they become great stories and they become great memories. So that's type two fun. Okay, so how did the story end, Bay? Well, uh, basically, these guys abandoned me on the side of the road because <laughs> it was getting dark, and um, dark we had to kind of get these guys to the campground, and we thought, oh, surely I'll be able to get a lift. And I probably waited, I think, in about an hour, and uh, people were, like, driving in the middle of the road to avoid my hitchhiking. I was sort of, like, going out there, waving, and then people, like, going on the other side of the road to get around me. Gosh. So I was thinking, wow, this is going to be difficult. And then this Russian family pulls up, a Russian family who live in Dunedin. And um, he only had a very small boot space, and he had two small children. And I actually said to him, look, uh, mate, I don't think this is going to fit in the back here, like the bike. And he goes, ah, oh, we give it a go. <laughs> in uh, that classic Russian accent. And uh, he, he was from like Vladivostok or something in the Far East. So he's a very resourceful dude. He worked on the railways. And uh, so he basically took the wheels off my bike and then threw it like half the frame was over the um, back seat where his um, two children, two-month-old and three-year-old, were sitting. Like the, 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 the spiky bits of the front crank were like right over the three-year-old's head. He was going, hey, mommy. <laughs> and then like I kind of sat on the edge of the um, sort of the seat where the tire well in the boot. And um, he just threw all the bags on top of me. 
And then he slammed the door against my leg and then somehow the door closed. And then we're off and we we're sort of jiggling around and he was telling me all about his life working on the railroads and how he had, you know, in Russia, a lot of people would, you just, if you put your thumb out, someone straight away is going to stop. And he says, oh, in New Zealand, they never do this. You know, it's like he said he, he walked through the night once when he couldn't, his car blew up in the Coromandel in the North Island and he got stuck. Anyway, um, so I was like, oh, what's settling in New Zealand like? And he says, um, well, I'll put it this way. I've worked in North Korea. North Korea was easier. So, I don't know. Maybe he's a little down on New Zealand. I think he didn't like the weather in Dunedin. Um, so, anyway. So, if anyone's got an industrial, needs an industrial electrician in the North Island where it's hot and sunny, uh, give this guy a call. Really nice guy. Um, <laughs> just ask for the Russian guy in Dunedin. But, okay, what about Fausto? How's Fausto now? Well, so, the Russian family took us to the campsite. And uh, we all met there. And then I met this guy called Gavin. And uh, <laughs> so Gavin's an awesome guy, and we—I've got a whole bunch of stories, but we'll have to save that for another podcast. But basically, Gavin came um, to the campsite because his toilet wasn't working at home, so he came to use the toilet at the dock campsite, and uh, we noticed that he had a pickup truck. Or and we huge, pounced on him. And we pounced on him. We said, "Oh, are you going to Balclutha? Do you reckon give us a lift?" And he goes, "Yeah, I'm going there. It's gonna—I oh, won't be going for a while, and maybe half an hour, like golden." So we loaded uh, Fausto in the back, took it up to uh, Balclutha, where we are now, and I can't remember, what was the Yamaha? We took to a motorcycle. Finstone. Yeah, Finstone Yamaha, I think they're called. If you need any bike fixing in uh, Balclutha, <laughs> these are the guys. But uh, they normally fix your farm bikes, mm -hmm. but um, they also have this guy called Rex, who is a former diesel mechanic. I won't go through Rex's whole family history, but I know it all. Okay, so if you want to hear the family histories of any of the three people that Baines mentioned today, invite him for a beer. Yeah, I've got a lot of stories about those guys. Fantastic gentlemen. Basically, I said to him, Rex, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Hope Pubs. And he goes, oh, look, good common sense, uh, Kiwi ingenuity. I'll be able to work out how this hub works. I said, look, I, if you've got internet here, I can get a YouTube video that will talk you through it. And he goes, ah, with no need for this internet contraption. And so um, he just kind of fiddled away, and I he was taking a bit too long, so I printed out the um, the manual off the internet for him in the office. Meanwhile, I was just drinking coffee, talk, drinking tea and stuff, talking with Marie, the office lady, and we're having a great old time. I'm, I'm part of the family there. But uh, so that's that's the story. That story. Shelley's uh, rigorously telling me to wind it up. Oh. I think it's because you. No one still, no one knows if Fausto's okay. Well, Nick, what do you reckon? Is Fausto going to make it? I, Rex didn't put much grease on there. You reckon that's a bit of a concern? Um, I wouldn't rub a hub dry super long, but, I mean, the bearing was the main thing. Uh, basically, you were running, like, an axle unsupported on one side, and the drive side especially. So with that bearing in there, you're going to be golden. I just put some... Uh, some Dumont tech or something in there, and yeah. then you'll be good for another bajillion kilometers like you guys have done. Well, that actually brings us to another interesting point, which is uh, the fact that, um, you know, we've done quite a few thousand kilometers, but we are getting nearer and nearer to Wellington and nearer to our journey's end. And this has been something that we've mentioned in the previous podcast or two. And it's kind of like you guys, like, you know, uh, Brian, you're kind of leaving New Zealand soon. And Nick, you finished the tour of Aotearoa. So it's like, how are you guys feeling about 
finishing this part of your trip. I mean, so I kind of had this idea that I would come here and I would do this trip and that would be it and I would be done. You know, like I had this plan for the cycle tour and then I'm done. And the closer I got to the end, I just sort of found myself thinking like, okay, where am I going to go next? You know, like, what am I going to do? And then I got invited uh, to go with Linda to Australia. So I put in an Australian visa application, which has not come back yet, but <laughs> I'm waiting to see if I get it. Um, so if that works out, I'm going to Australia, perhaps. Uh, if not, I'll be going back to California. And I've got a job lined up at the drop zone that I always jump at. I'll be teaching people how to skydive all summer long. And then um, next summer, I'm really strongly thinking about doing the Sierra Cascades route, uh, which is from California, uh, Canada down to Mexico through Washington, Oregon, and California. So, so reaching Bluff, how did you feel when you got to the bottom of the South Island? You obviously didn't feel like this had sated your travel yeah. desires. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. I was when I came over this little hill to Sterling Point, which is you know this the southern point in Bluff, and they have this sign that has you know markers pointing off towards you know six thousand kilometers to Tokyo and four thousand to the South Pole. Um, I was just so like blown away for a second. I was like, oh my God, I finally, I'm here. Whoa, like this is crazy. And then, you know, I got some tourists to take my picture and then I went and had a coffee and, <laughs> you know, goes life goes on. Yeah, you know, and then I was still like, after my five minutes of like bliss, you know, like, oh, I did it. Then I was back to thinking like, what do I do next? <laughs> what about you, Nick? I mean, you, you guys did a pretty epic effort of 25 days, the whole country. Yeah. What was it like to finish? Well, so the day before we did um, like Walter Peak Station in the Invercargill. So it was about 200 kilometers. And we were just like, oh, we're going to break the 200 club. Awesome. And so, uh, I mean, for our last day, it was 34 kilometers. And so we kind of just like waited around and had a lot of coffee, had some great conversation. I think I had like six bananas because it was like, I mean, if you go on a cycle tour or something, uh, we used to kind of motivate ourselves by like chanting beer and pizza, beer and pizza when we were going like on big efforts to get into town. And then it changed very quickly, like veggies and fruit and pizza, veggies and fruit or not pizza, veggies and fruit and beer. Because, oh, my gosh, anything that's like natural and not out of a box, you're going to want it so bad. Um, but, yeah, we did like a 34K effort into uh, Bluff and it was extremely surreal. We're like, wait a second, I don't get on the bike tomorrow. I'm not with Tom and Jason tomorrow. And so saying goodbye to them was really weird because we all didn't know how. And so we're just like, oh, yeah, we better go. And like, <laughs> we're just like, do yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like, do we, do we hug or what? I don't, I'm not quite sure. Like, I'm a hugger. So, of course, we, but yeah, it was, it was extremely strange. Um, I did a couple weeks solo before the tour. And that was that was pretty difficult, but I'm you know I was very blessed. I I found you guys, um, and then we got to do the Catlins, 
but I have two months here still, and then I'm off to do Europe. And so uh, I'm very excited and a little anxious to see um, what happens along the way. But if anything, you know, every day on the bike is best day at work ever. And uh, you just kind of let it roll. Oh, man. That's like what I reckon. And so, but for us, our tour is coming to an end in like a month and less than a month now. And so, yeah, I, I don't know what it's going to be like where you wake up and then you don't have to go. Well, you don't have to go anywhere any day, but, you know, when you, you know you're not going to be riding your bike. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the sort of thing that we're sort of dealing with. Shelly's like, sweet, we can do some rest. But I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to miss riding the bike because it's just like the coolest, been such a cool experience. The other question I had for you guys was around um, how, like, about how to, how to translate what you've done to people at home. Like, have you thought about, like, what your families, what do they think about what you've done? Have they mm. given, have you been in contact with them? What did, what did they make of it? Do they understand? Yeah, I think it's it's really hard to share and to have people understand. I mean, I sent my family an email and I got a really cool response back from my sister um, and my uncle as well. Didn't hear anything from my dad yet. Um, but, you know, it's just sort of one of those things like you have to, I feel like you really have to do it to get it. And so... You know, yeah, people think it's cool that you've cycled this great length, but, you know, it's it's not the, you know, the, the trip isn't about the distance. It's the day-to-day -day stuff that happens to me, I think, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, I, you know, much, much the same. Uh, I kind of sent home and was like, oh, like I finished. I just did 3,000K in like 25 days through some of the craziest trails and rain and heat and whatever mechanicals um and it seemed like my family was just like oh well done and that was like it uh except for my my mother she's done the camino de santiago and she was like oh yeah no one really gets it like only people that have done it get it and then that just makes you this really tight-knit like fraternity like as soon as we got we all met like in this backpackers when you guys were kind of planning your route and i was on this other couch and i overheard and i was like can i join like oh cycle tourists so my brother my brethren um but yeah i don't know it, it's it's tough to get for people because i think everyone's so inundated in their everyday life that they don't get you know, our days are kind of lackadaisical where we're like, oh, we're on a bike. We have a lot of time to think and observe like life around us. Um, but we have to make so many choices every day. Uh, one of the guys I rode with, Ken, who's just awesome. I hope I meet him again or see him again. But he, he said it best and he's like, you know, it's a fact that there's going to be really bad weather days. There's a fact that your bike's going to have a mechanical. It's, a, you know, it's a fact that you're going to get sick. But, you know, it's a choice to make it a bad day if any of that happens because it's all in your attitude and getting up day after day. And like for me, it was like I either wanted to just chuck my bike off a cliff or climb on it and like have a great day. But making the choice to like, you know, kind of clean the slate, like especially, you, I mean, you had a gnarly mechanical, but you were like really still stoked in a great mood. Um, that's a big choice and you know it's it takes a, a lot of mental fortitude to really do that 
Um, and I don't think people really understand that because we're so uh, used to outside factors dictating our moods instead of ourselves dictating our moods. Mm. So. Yeah. You were very calm when Fausto completely blew up. I was quite surprised. Yeah, I don't know where that came from. Like, <laughs> <laughs> normally I'd be bloody we throat. At that yeah, exactly. And we, yeah, we weren't drinking, and you know, I, I didn't throw my toys out of the car. I kind of, I don't know. Like, there've been other mechanicals where I've kind of lost my shit a bit, but maybe with you guys around, I was less wanting to do it. But I said to Shelley last night in the tent, like. I didn't even feel like I wanted to throw a wobbly. It's kind of just was a weird situation We're in the middle of nowhere and a beautiful road in New Zealand. Yeah. How bad can it be? You know, and then I um, we've done a little bit of hitchhiking with Stefan, this Bulgarian guy as well. And I, another one I, I've hitchhiked. I've done four hitchhikes so far. <laughs> we've only been here just over two weeks. And, um, and so I kind of maybe knew that there was going to be a cool story from that. And... It, it kind of all worked out and it was all good yeah oh we've had such a good time with you guys we're going to be yeah. really sad to say goodbye now i'm pretty sure that um baden has arranged for some cheese rolls this evening so i think we're going to do a little bit of a tasting right yeah but in the meantime uh so cheese rolls uh just to introduce you to cheese rolls are like a southland delicacy it's like uh, some woman's done an academic paper from Otago University about how cheese rolls are like uh, one of the few examples of kind of indigenous food, particular to this region, that women just in their kitchens just came up with these cheese rolls. And this is like something that's quite unique to Southland, and you guys are going to be trying it very shortly. But we've been, um, any cafe we've been rolled into, we've been trying the cheese rolls. Pretty good at Cafe 55 in Balclutha, by the way. But we, uh, we first sampled them in New Zealand in uh, Manapuri. So this is a cheese roll. Thank you. Cheese roll. So this is like the Southland Institution. We've never had, I didn't, You've never had that. I don't know. No. I didn't even know what it was. Oh, I just oh, heard yeah. these Southlanders the other day talking about cheese rolls. So and I, I thought like, it was a, like a bun with cheese on top. And then it's like. So it's like an asparagus. How roll do you make it? Well, there's there's different ways, but it's basically um, cheese, produced cream, yeah, different things, and onion, soup, onion stuff, and Ooh. Just mix it up, onions, and roll it up. Roll it up. Awesome. It smells yeah. great. Yeah. Thank you. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Confirm, yum. Oh my gosh, it's good. Mm. It's got a, it's so, it's, it's just put on the edge of the bread and then rolled. Mm. And then there's butter on the outside and, mm. oh my god, bloody golden. Love it. Okay, this is it. We're eating a lot of these. Apparently it's controversial to cut the crust off. Oh my god, this is hilarious. We're on a voyage of discovery. Mmm. So this is a, uh, a very special moment for a couple of Americans. You get to try the Southland delicacy, even though we are now in Southern Otago, not technically Southland, but they still make cheese rolls. They're still passionate about cheese rolls here. So we've got a good uh, crispy cover here. On the bottom, not so crispy. We're going to cut into this. And uh, oh, 
Now, these have probably been frozen, and uh, they're telling me today at the bike shop that it's quite common um, for charities or you know raising money for your school to send out frozen cheese rolls. But hmm. this is from the New World, so wrap your laughing gear around that. <laughs> Ooh, thank you. Don't mind if I do. Mmm. Ah. Are you getting notes of onion in there? Mm-hmm. Hints of mahogany and <laughs> sweet leather. And onion. Oh God! I was like, what? <laughs> Any hint of cheese? Uh, there is more than a hint of cheese. Next time, I'll order the cheese without bread. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I would I eat this. garlic. Yeah, put a garlic in there. Mm-hmm. So, this is the delicacy, which uh, is pretty indigenous to these parts. Um, and maybe you guys be able to take this back and open a cheese roll shack on uh, Santa Monica Beach or something. Oh, yeah. Cheese roll cheese roll food cart. Yeah, food yeah. truck, yeah. If your American diet already wasn't shit enough, <laughs> welcome to our cheese roll cart. Cardiac arrest cart. Oh, they'd be a huge hit in the Midwest. We love cheese. Oh, it's true. We've just rode into Gore. It's the capital of a couple of things. Uh, they say it's the brown trout capital of New Zealand, and I guess that's uh, probably why they're right behind me here is a giant brown trout. Um, yeah, they get into the brown trout around here, who knew? And it's also the country music capital of uh, New Zealand. Um, I've kind of been intrigued to come to Gore for a while, and I guess it's ever since Oh, Mikey Havoc and Newsboy, a program that was probably on in the early 2000s where they came here and they made a bit of fun of Gore and it was quite controversial at the time. But uh, ever since then, something's uh, inside me has urged me to come to all the way to Gore. And we're here. It's amazing. And, well, I don't know yet. We're going to check it out. So we're off to try some of their local moonshine. These are the real stories of Hakanui. The legendary southern spirit first made in the nearby bush-clad Southland Hills, which lend their name to the brew. You may know it as moonshine, hooch, fire water, or illicit whiskey. But here we call it Hokanui. Once tasted, never mistaken. One of the great stories of Gore is the story of Hokanui, which is what they called moonshine in this area. Um, we're standing outside of Mary McRae's cottage right now inside the Hokanui Moonshine Museum in the center of Gore. And Mary McRae is where the story of Hokanui begins. Yeah, she came out from Scotland and uh, she brought with her in a little bag marked household appliances or household goods, a little whiskey distiller. And uh, at the time, uh, this place was dry. And to this day, I think they still have a licensing trust, so alcohol is really tightly regulated. But Uh, This was during the days of Prohibition, and she was a midwife, one of the good midwives in the area, and she travelled far and wide, but she reckoned she could only do her job with her daily dram of whiskey. So Mary McRae died in 1911 at age 93. Um, A very, as you say, uh, robust woman, Um, and there are lots of great stories of her and the McRae clan who all came over from Scotland and uh, the Hokanui that they produced, so named for the Hokanui Hills. Yeah, there's a picture right behind you of the Hokanui Hills, and I think we're going to go riding over them tomorrow. Um, and you are welcome to a taste of the Hokanui if you would like to try it at all. 
probably warm you yes. up in this cold day. Yes, we will. We <laughs> will. Bravely try it. Excellent. So you've got a choice about what you would like to try. So this one here is probably more authentic to the story in that it's a 40% alcohol grain spirit. It's been both Peter Manuka smoked, uh, made from south and grown barley. Uh, this one here is a liqueur, so it's the old Hokanui blended with local honey and with mint. So it's a bit more like a liqueur, a bit um, sweeter. Oh, okay. mm. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Well, I'm just really crap on spirits, but it's actually not bad. It tastes like proper whiskey. It tastes like whiskey I've drank in Scotland, but I just react poorly to all whiskey. I'm a bit soft like that. I don't blame you. <laughs> it's quite smoky. It is very smoky, like yes. in the in where did we go? Talisker on the Isle of Skye, oh, and yes. that was very smoky, peaty whiskey as well. Right, yes, mm. yeah, yeah. Cool. What's the liqueur like? <laughs> oh, you're cheeky. We have to say goodbye to our friends Brian and Nick because they're going to Dunedin, and where are we going? Yeah, we don't want to go to Dunedin. I mean, it's pretty crap. <laughs> Um, it's just going to rain the whole time. So no, we're <laughs> so we're going to the sunnier climes of Central Otago, <laughs> um, and we're going we're going to Shingle Creek. This is the big moment. We're going to the Miller's High Country Sheep Station, wow. deep in the heart of Shingle Creek in Central Otago. I'm going to teach the family uh, basically how to sheep farm. Um, I think I have an idea of what Shingle Creek is going to be like, so it'll be so interesting to see it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so Gretchen's my um, cycling buddy in London, and uh, yeah, her family live in Shingle Creek, and the red carpet's going to be laid out. I actually need to WhatsApp Gretchen, so uh, hi, Gretchen. Um, (laughs) We're going to be turning up at your family's house real soon. (laughs) But um, And then from there, yeah, we're going to sort of keep going across... Queenstown, I suppose, um, and then start making our way up towards the West Coast. Um, so more rugged New, Le- New Zealand landscapes to come. Gosh. Oh, thank you very much for listening. That's our episode for this time. As always, we'd love to know how you are and where you are. You can post a comment under this uh, podcast on our blog, howareyouwhereareyou.com. Um, you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. We've got a couple of links there, and we'll have some photos that go along with this podcast, some of them donated kindly by Nick, who took some really beautiful photos of the penguin. (laughs) Um, Thank you, as always, to Callum Campbell, who provided the music for this podcast. He performs under the name Runtime, and you can find his page on SoundCloud. Uh, You can find Baden on Instagram at Baden Cycling or Twitter at Baden C. And until next time, bye. Harira. Later. Adios. So what's the difference between a bad golfer and a bad skydiver? What? Bad golfer goes, whack! Damn it! Bad skydiver goes, damn it! Whack! Whack! Brian, Brian.